Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. I'm going to say it again. He is risen. Amen. I want to encourage you to uh, take your Bibles and um, open up to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. Because there's one in the pew in front of you. And uh, I encourage you. Uh, to take that Bible, and if you're using one in the pew, it's on page 1051. 1051. So I, we just want to make sure everyone's got a copy of God's Word. And uh, we're celebrating today uh, what is one of the greatest gifts, actually the greatest gift that mankind has ever been given. A salvation in Jesus' name that wouldn't have been possible without the resurrection. And when we think about this, uh, I want us to, to be just challenge ourselves to think for a minute about uh, what we think of when we think of a king. We think of a ruler. We think of someone in an authority position. And, uh, there's all kinds of things that come to mind when we think of that. And last week we, we talked about... Uh, The king we want is often not the king we need. And in fact, the king we want often looks a lot more like us than like Jesus. Where it accomplishes my will and what I want to see happen and what I want to see take place instead of who Christ is and what he's called us to. Whereas Jesus, the servant king, came... Yes, to redeem, but not in an earthly sense, rather in an eternal sense, that you could have hope eternal. Now, as we think about this, um, how many of you, uh, just by a show of hands, at some point or another, have put your hope in something that has let you down? Yeah, I think uh, some of you are being dishonest. Because uh, every hand should have gone up, right? Every one of us. If you are a human and you live on this earth, you have put your hope in something at some point, maybe even right now, that has let you down. If you are married, you have put your hope in something that lets you down. Right? In the same way, we need to step back for a minute and ask ourselves, if there is the potential that I can put my hope in something that lets me down, what should I put my hope in? Now, I'm just curious. So we're going to do something kind of fun. We're going to play a game. It's called Joy or Sorrow. Okay? And what I'm going to do is, in a minute, I'm going to put a word up here on the screen. And I just want you to holler out, Joy or Sorrow, based on what you see. The first thing that comes to mind, don't think about it. Okay, just just shout it out. Okay, you ready? Here we go. 
<laughs> I kind of figured that would be the case. Let's keep going. <laughs> See, oh, there was. Did you catch that? Some people are like, joy. And other people are like, ah, no way. All right, let's try this one. All right, let's pause a minute. Think about that for a second. Okay? We'll keep going. I know what this one's going to (laughs) be. Oh, there's a few! How many of you that said joy, it's because of snow? Ah, there it is. Okay. Here we go. So there's a couple. My middle daughter is one that would say joy to winter and sorrow to summer because she hates the heat. So, all right. Everyone is going to, I guarantee everyone's going to have the exact same response on this next one. Okay, are you ready? <laughs> Was I wrong? Anyone have joy in that? All right, here's another one. Okay. All right, we keep going. Oh! Here's another one that's applicable to some of you, okay? Okay. What's really interesting about something like it's fun, it's fun to do this, but what's really interesting about this, and you guys did this perfectly, was there's multiple of these where some of you went joy. And then I want to credit those of you who on some of those were willing to be brutally honest and say, you know what? That's a, that's a point of sorrow for me. You say, when we go through life, there's aspects of who we are and what we experience where what may be joy-filled in this earth for one person is the root of all sorrow and bitterness for another. And when we can step back and look at that, and we look outside of our own selves, we realize that everything, everyone say everything, everything here on this earth has the potential to let you down and be a root of sorrow and bitterness in your life. Everything of this world. And in the same breath, everything that has the potential to bring us the most sorrow also has the potential to bring us great joy. Here's what I'm getting at. I want to put my hope in something that's not going to let me down. Amen? I want to put my security... In something that's not going to change. It's not going to shift. Because some of you are here and you've experienced seasons of joy that have turned to sorrow. And that which maybe at one point was something that brought great sense of satisfaction. Is now something that just hurts. And is a wound. And at the end of the day, this is, this is, if you get nothing else out of today, this is what I want you to get. Hope in earthly success only leads to sorrow. 
Hope in the risen Christ produces abundant joy. Hope in earthly success only leads to sorrow. Hope in the risen Christ produces abundant joy. Regardless of where you find yourself today, you need to know this one truth. Eternal hope has been bought for you this day in Jesus' name. It has been bought for you. Now, in Luke chapter 24, what we have going on here is a really interesting. And just to give you an overview of what's happened up to this point, uh, Jesus has done uh, three-ish years of ministry on earth, and he's walked alongside people, and uh, many have understood or heard these uh, 12 disciples. We've heard that word before, and these are simply uh, 12 guys who Jesus called out and said, follow me. And they spent time with Jesus. They learned from Jesus. They were equipped from Jesus. But the thing we often don't think about or process through is that it wasn't just the twelve. It was also all these other people who witnessed the goodness and the miracles of what God had done. And so there's all these people who followed Jesus. And then in the scope, kind of at the peak of Jesus' ministry, he's arrested He's beaten, he's scorned, and he's killed. Now step back for a minute and consider being one of those people who've witnessed the power, the miraculous power of Jesus, who've known that the prophets of old had spoken of a Messiah who would come and redeem a people out of oppression. And your hopes have risen. This is the one. This is the Messiah. This is He who will bring us out where our eyes are fixed on earth. And now He's gone. So setting the stage for that, not only Jesus' disciples who walked with Him for three years, but all of those individuals who were following Jesus were in the same boat of going, what What now? What now? Where, where is my hope now? Where do I go now? What do I do now? Where that which they put their hope in seemed to have failed them once again. That's where we pick up. I'm going to start in verse 13 of Luke 24. <clears throat> we read verses 1 through 12 earlier with this focus on the first discovery of Jesus not in the tomb. I'm going to read all the way through verse 35, and then we're going, to, we're going to talk about it a little bit and come back to this main point, this main idea. <clears throat> verse 13. That very day, two of them, them there, meaning disciples, people who'd followed Jesus, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, 
What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Take note of verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen visions of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while we talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour, they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathering together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Father, as we seek to understand and clarify the hope that's been given us in Jesus through this passage. May you open our eyes. God, remove the blinders that would keep us from seeing the eternal hope that's been given to us in Christ and bring us to a place of understanding and clarity. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So here we join these two men on a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And along the way, understand that they were taking this walk without any technology. So what do you do? We're going to have a conversation. And in that moment, they are having this conversation about all that's happened, all that's taken place. And what do you know? Jesus shows up. And I have to think that Jesus is just having a grand time showing up. at all. It is the pinnacle of the best Like homecoming you could ever imagine. Imagine it. And he comes alongside, but their eyes, and and it doesn't give much, much explanation here, other than that their eyes are kept from seeing him. And this is passive, which means it is a supernatural thing that took place to keep them from recognizing who Jesus was. And there's a piece of this that uh, I really believe that uh, their eyes were kept from seeing Jesus so that they would articulate exactly where they were at and recognize for a second 
where their hope was. In verse 21, as they articulate these things to Jesus, as if he's never heard them before, and yet they're speaking to the very one whom they've happened to. And what do they say? They say, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped he was the one to do it. Their confidence, their hope was an earthly success. It was in the conquest. They were in Roman oppression. Hundreds and hundreds of years they longed for the Messiah who would set their people free. Have you ever been in a state of mind where you just longed for relief? Where you just wanted a break? And in a moment you think, just for a moment, yes, the reprieve is here, only to be hit with another wave of sorrow. Hope in earthly success only leads to sorrow. Hope in the risen Christ leads to abundant joy. Now here's something really interesting. When they articulate this hope, Jesus responds to them. In verse 25, he says, O foolish ones and slow in heart, To believe all that the prophets have spoken. What's interesting about this and what we can understand from this is that knowing the truth of Scripture is not the same as knowing Jesus. I want you to think about that one more time. Knowing the truth of Scripture is not the same thing as knowing the risen Lord. I can know what His Word says. Just as these two men did, they knew the prophet's words. And that's exactly what compels Jesus to go, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then what does Jesus do? He stops and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Here's the hard truth. If you're listening to this, the reality is you can know what the Bible says and still choose not to follow Jesus. The greatest example we have of that are the very people who killed Jesus in Scripture. Man, those guys knew more Scripture than all of us combined. They knew what the law and the prophets, the old, the whole of the Old Testament, they knew what that said. And yet they did not recognize the power was not in the knowing the scriptures the power was in knowing the lord in fact there's a parable jesus tells in luke chapter 16 and it's one of the most humbling parables uh, i believe in jesus ministry where he tells a parable of uh, this man named lazarus and the rich man this is not the same lazarus who rose from the dead Okay, but this is a different parable. A parable is just another word for a story that Jesus used to illustrate a main point. And in this story, the rich man is living and functioning uh, in his wealth and his prosperity, his earthly success. And then there's Lazarus, this poor man who has nothing of this earth, but he has faith. And both of these individuals die And Lazarus goes in the parable describes as Abraham's bosom. And the reason it's described as such is because that would have been the concept of eternity to the Jews of that day. 
Whereas the rich man went to Hades or hell. In that moment, the rich man speaks to Abraham and says, tell Lazarus to dip his finger in water that I might quench this, this, this fire. And then in the midst of that, he's denied. But then this is where it gets really significant. Because the rich man asks that Abraham would send someone back to his father's home who might warn his family about this place that they might not end up there. And this is what the response was. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, 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 no. Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. How many of you, if someone rose from the dead and came back and told you, heaven is real, hell is real, you need to make a decision, you go, I believe that. Some of you would think, yes, that's what I need. I need this physical evidence. I need to see this with my own eyes. And yet look at the response here. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Everyone say, whoa. It's humbling. You see, oftentimes we convince ourselves that knowing Scripture is where it ends. And yet, just as Cleopas and this other disciple on the road to Emmaus, Jesus calls them out and he goes back to the law and the prophets in order to bring revelation and clarity to what? To who Jesus is. He interpreted to them, this is verse 27, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Knowing scripture is not the same as knowing Jesus. I'll I'll ask this question. Um, Are we educated beyond obedience? Are we educated to a point that we think we know it, but I know these, I just don't live them. I just don't live it out. It's like, I'm curious, how many of you parents, if you went to your child and you said, you need to clean your room. And they go, I know how to clean my room. And you come in later and nothing's been done. Nothing's been done. And you go, what are you doing? I clearly told you to clean your room. I know, I heard you. And I recognize and affirm that you told me to clean my room. Why isn't it done? Well, I know that you told me to clean my room. I, I just decided to do something else. But I told you to clean. You see where I'm going with this? Okay. The, the reality becomes, are we educated to the point in Scripture and in knowledge that we, uh, beyond what we are willing to even obey? Knowing Scripture is not the same as knowing Jesus. There's a second thing here. Jesus breaks bread, he gives it to them, their eyes are open and Jesus vanishes. We miss that sometimes. What What happened? I don't know. Jesus just, poof, he's gone. And as soon as their eyes are opened, what do they do? 
did, our, did not we burn inside when he talked? Like there was something drawing us. Now we see. We've got to go back to Jerusalem. We've got to tell people. We've got to see. It's this celebrating. Oh my goodness, it's true. He's risen. He's alive. Praise God. Here, here's the truth out of that. Knowing the risen Lord is worth celebrating every day. Not just on Resurrection Sunday. You know, this is one of my favorite days. I get so excited. I almost didn't have a voice by the time I got up here. And I'm probably definitely not going to have a voice by tomorrow. Because this is where it's at, church family. But how often do we know that the Lord is risen and we know he's come and we celebrate that on Sunday and then we leave and we go about our day. We go about our week. Oh, Easter Sunday's over. Guess Jesus isn't risen anymore. Wrong. No. It's the very lifeblood that should give us focus as we go about every day. Every day. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. A.K.A. there's no hope. If Jesus is still in the grave, there's no hope for you. There's no hope for us. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. And then it changes. Here's what it says. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who've fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Hope in earthly success only leads to sorrow, but hope in the risen Christ produces abundant joy. Amen? Now in the scope of this... (laughs) How many times have you guys heard the heard the phrase? Um, did you did you hear about or did you see? This is a really I don't know if you've picked up on this. This is really common in our day, and the reason this is so common is because information is everywhere. So everyone, because I can pull this computer out of my pocket and get notifications about everything that's happening all the time. I have convinced myself that I am God and everyone else is God too because we are all knowing. Seriously. And so we walk around and we don't share things with people. We actually say, hey, did you hear? Hey, did you see? In fact, it's gotten to the point that people anymore will uh, share something on social media and then they'll say, well, uh, uh, did you see what I put on there? Nope. Was I supposed to? And as a result of this, we're constantly looking for new, new things happening. We want new news, not old news. Oh, I've, I heard about that. I'm on to the next thing. And we're doing it like this. And I call, I, I named this last night as I was finishing my sermon. I, I called it old newsitis. All right. 
and in fact, it was so it was like 1:30 when I was writing this, and so I didn't even I forgot to update it on this slide. I was sitting at my at my dining room table, and I was like, symptoms of what could I call this? And so I left the slide. I forgot to fix it this morning. So, but the next one, I'm going to give you three symptoms of old newsitis. I put it on this one. See, old newsitis. Here's what I would call, this is my own self-diagnosis of old newsitis. One, I get no joy from reflecting on what has already happened. Number two, I have no desire to share this excitement with anyone else because I assume it's old news. Number three, I only think about it if someone triggers the memory in my mind. Oh yeah, I remember that. Now this is broad. And I want you now to apply this to the resurrection of Jesus. Here's what it would look like. I get no joy from reflecting on what Jesus has done for us. That's old news. I know that. I've grown up with that. I've been taught that. I've heard that. Old news. Give me something new. Number two, I have no desire to share this hope with other people. If I really believe eternal hope exists in the name of Jesus... Wouldn't you want everyone else to know? Oh. Number three, the, I only, this is, this is probably the most detrimental. I only think about these things on Sunday or when someone else brings it up. It's old news. Oh yeah, I remember that resurrection Sunday. Jesus is risen. Yeah, we're going to celebrate. The risen Lord is worth celebrating every day. Every day. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's worth celebrating every day. The final thing that I want to just draw your attention to in the midst of this. There's something significant that stands out in this story. When Jesus is present, he is present with these followers of him. And they don't recognize him. And I want to pose a question to you. How often is Jesus so present in your life and you're too busy to see it? You're too overloaded and overwhelmed to see it. Your hope is too much in the things of this world to see it. For some of you, it may be that your eyes are not opened Just in the same way that these two men. But for others of you, we've not only heard, but probably already experienced the goodness of Christ personally. And yet we're distracted and we can't see. Now, how many of you are visual people? You like visual pictures? Okay, one second. I've got a visual today that I hope will cause this to stick. And you can probably still hear me. But you can't see me. I'm coming, I promise. All right. Let's see here. This is my cart of baggage. All right. All right. And uh, Chris Layton, come. I need your help. It's okay, I'm going to have you do it to me, so I'm not going to make you the object of focus here. 
right? So here, here's, as I, I was trying to visualize this and think about just the weight and burden that each one of you experience week to week, day to day, moment to moment, and trying to visualize why is it that so often we go through life and we try to put our hope in something of this world, but we, if we just return to this place of absolute despair and hopelessness, what is it that could be keeping us from seeing the very eternal hope that's been given to us in the name of Jesus? And so I, I thought about this. I'll, I'll do these first ones myself. And I, I, we, have, we have baggage like this. Where I've got emotional baggage, right? And it's just kind of always present. It's always, always present in my life. And then I've got relational baggage from my past and it's just kind of here and, um, or I need these bags, these other bags. And, uh, so I've got, I've, I've got the future. I'm concerned about the future. And so I'm carrying that around with me and I've got work baggage. I mean, a lot of you are just struggling with work and, then, all right, now, go ahead and hand me, yeah, just tell me what it is. What do we got? Finances. Finan- all right, so finances. Now, all right, my, my mortgage is coming up. I don't know if I got the money to pay for it. I'm saved, trying to save for retirement. I don't know if I got enough. Uh, my kids are going to college, and that's just really expensive. I've got a lot of debt, and I don't know how we're going to get out of this mess. Uh, so I'm, I'm carrying that around with me. And then what, do, what else do I have? Friends. Friends, oh, man. I've got some good friends, but I've got others. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if they're really friends or if I'm the friend. And so I'm just carrying this around and trying to juggle this. And I'm trying to be there for them, but I kind of like people to be there for me. And uh, it's just hard trying to support them. They've got their own baggage. And so I'm trying to carry this around. And uh, you may have to slide it out the front. Uh, What else do we got? what's, What's taking place here? Work. All right. I've not only got work baggage, but I've got weekly work. So I'm I'm scheduled and I've got all these things going on and all these routines that are taking place. And so the work box, I'm carrying this around. And then what else do I have? Media. Oh, no, my phone is blowing up. And not only is it notifications, but it's also it's also all of this news around the world, stuff I absolutely have no control over, but now I'm thinking about it and I'm processing it. I can't get over it. And it's, oh, all right. Oh, what else do I have? Family. Fa- oh, all right. Family. Oh, man. Okay. Family. I've got, I've got kids. I've got a wife. I've got extended family. I've got in-laws. I've got all these family dynamics. So trying to figure out how to, how to raise kids and Trying to figure out how to be a good husband and I've just this weight of all of this and, and then what else do I have? Church. Oh church How in the world am I supposed to do church? And I'm walking around like this and I can't even move. And I'm standing here and then ultimately at the end of the day my life my life ends up looking like this. And in the weight of my baggage, I am unable to see Jesus. And then in the midst of my mess, Jesus gave himself while I was still in my sin. He died for me. That I could have hope and life eternal. 
If I would believe that he is the only eternal hope that I have. That the weight of all these things and putting my hope in any of these things will let me down and will bring me to sorrow and pain and hurt and anguish. And Jesus, in the midst of my sorrow, in Matthew 11, he intersects and he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when I choose to fix my eyes on Jesus, it's not that this other stuff isn't still there. It's that in the midst of all of that, he is my focus. He is my hope. He is my only joy. So that as I'm walking through finances, I know (laughs) the riches of this world are temporary, but the riches of eternity are forever. It's so that in the midst of friends and all the things going on there, I recognize Jesus is just as in control of their lives as he is over mine. And I can do nothing to change the circumstances going on there, but I can be faithful to do exactly what Jesus has helped do for me, and that is be a light in the midst of the darkness. It's in the midst of work that I know that I'm going to do everything as for the Lord and not for men. And that who I am is not determined by what I do. It's determined by who He says I am. It's that in the midst of church, there's messy, hurting people that are going to let me down. But we're united together because of Jesus and what He's done for us. And it's for that reason we celebrate. I can recognize that while I may know that the media is driving me nuts, that it has no power over what God in Christ has already said He's going to do. He is sovereign over all things that I see. It's in the midst of family and the pain of not only present family dynamics, but the past burdens and hurts and anguish that I know that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that that which is broken in the past is redeemed and able to be brought to new life in Jesus' name. And in the midst of this, all of these other baggage that I start carrying around, if I focus in on what Jesus has called me to, it's not that I am free of everything, but rather His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Thanks, Chris. How often have we placed our hopes in something we want to see rather than what God is doing? I hope God relieves this relational burden in my life. I hope God gives me the job I want. I hope God provides the retirement that I dream of. I hope God provides money for my next rent payment. I hope God takes away my mental health struggles. I hope God takes away the pain.
instead of hoping what God will do, stop and think about what he has done. In Christ, he's invited us into his family. In Christ, he's offered us forgiveness of sin. In Christ, he's called us out of the darkness and into the light. In Christ, he has given us eternal life. And here's what God says. Believe for the salvation of your souls. Receive the greatest gift given for you. A life given for your life. A hope that springs eternal. Because He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. So I ask you once more, where have you placed your hope? Because hope in earthly success will only lead to sorrow. But hope in the risen Christ results in abundant, everlasting joy. And it's in that breath that we can confidently assert that because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. And I know, I know He holds the future. And it's all because He lives. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and we're going to sing just that. And then, we're going to celebrate some people who have chosen to follow Jesus. And so those individuals who have made that decision and have chosen to publicly proclaim that today, I want you guys to go back to these bathrooms behind here and start getting ready. And we're going to sing this together. And then we're going to celebrate what God's doing. But I don't want you to leave here without stopping for a moment to consider where is your hope? And as we sing this, I want you to ask, am I carrying this or have I committed my life to Jesus? You will leave here having made a decision for that or for this. And I'm here to tell you that will always let you down. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Father, as we recognize who you are and all that you've done, I pray that you would convict and challenge us in a way that brings us great joy in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of pain, that we would be able to recognize who you are and what you have done. And that we would make a decision to surrender all that we are to you in the scope of who you are. That we would recognize that apart from Jesus, we have nothing. May we take upon ourselves the yoke that Christ has called us to and no other. And may this result in an abundant hope, an eternal hope, an abundant joy in every day from this point forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.